Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. We are coming to you live on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonnie D. here with three very interesting guests. Let me give you a setup for our topic, and then we will get started. So I have a couple of quotes here. One is from MIT professor Jonathan Burns, who teaches case studies in logistics and supply chain management. That gives you a clue. His quote, many supply chains are perfectly suited to the needs that business had 20 years ago. Just let that sink in for a second, okay? Panel, do you agree with that? Should we just nod our, good, we've got nod. We're not live streaming the video today, unfortunately, due to technical difficulties, but I can see them and you'll all see the video later. I have a quote also from, his name is Paul Pullman, P-O-L-M-A-N. He's a Dutch author, investor, businessman, former CEO of the British consumer goods company, Unilever, you've all heard of that. He's an author as well. And he says, looking at the world through a sustainability lens, not only helps us future-proof with quotes around it, our supply chain, it also fuels innovation and drives brand growth. So now I've set you up. We're talking about supply chain and sustainability. We're still going to go one more quote here. And I have a quote from Thomas Friedman, the three-time Pulitzer Prize winner, weekly columnist for the New York Times, and he writes on global trade, among other issues. He says, supply chains cannot tolerate even 24 hours of disruption. So if you lose your place in the supply chain because of wild behavior, and he doesn't say whose wild behavior it is, you could lose a lot. It would be like pouring cement down one of your oil wells. Panel, do you all think those are pretty on target for what we're, yeah, I, I think those are pretty timely. That's why I picked them. So now let me give the full background on our topic today. Today, manufacturing companies realize they to be successful, they must consider their profit and their impact on the planet. That's a sustainability part. This means developing more sustainable products and running more sustainable processes. However, like I talked about a minute ago, they need to cope with a constant stream of disruptions like natural disasters. We've got plenty of those. Geopolitical events and who isn't aware of what's going on today. Resource and talent shortages, both very present and accounted for. So how are they going to do it? Manufacturers need to collect and analyze the data to meet all the regulations and make informed decisions and trade-offs. And I don't think we've ever had the word trade-offs in these discussions before. They also need to operate their production their logistics and their business processes to lower emissions, to reduce waste, to ensure good social business practices, and they have to be agile to adapt and adjust with all of these things coming at them. And they have to develop and produce sustainable products that help their customers meet their own sustainability goals at a profit. That's the idea of a supply chain and a value network, right? You've got to do it for the next person or company down the line. I have three experts on the panel today. Raise your hand and wave for the video when I call you. Ed Cohn at Oxford Economics. Ed, welcome. Welcome. It's been quite a few years since you and I have met. Very happy to have you. want to be Ed or Edward today. What's your pleasure? Oh, let's make me Ed. We're all friends here. I think so. I'm more comfortable with that. Thank you. We have Andreas Queck, and he spells his last name Q-U-E-C-K at SAP. Andreas, wave hello. There you are. Happy to have you. And we have Monkambu Raju, and he said his 
first name is so complicated. We just call him Raju. He's a one name wonder at SAP. Hello, Raju. How are you? And I'm going to ask them a big question today. A sustainable resilient supply network dot 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 a paradox question mark is it possible bonnie d in the house again happy to be here welcome 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 let's go around the table and have everybody introduce themselves full bio mr Cohn, welcome please welcome back please take about three minutes and tell us who you are what you do a little bit about oxford economics why are you here ed welcome thanks bonnie so i'm ed Cohn. i'm the editorial director at oxford economics and just real quick oxford economics is a global a consulting firm that does, as the name implies, economics and also business research. That's where I come in. Um, again, my title, editorial director, somewhat self-explanatory. Um, I oversee our research programs. And my preparation for that was two and a half decades as a business journalist uh, and a tech journalist for publications that, well, you've all heard of. Younger people maybe can look them up on uh, Wikipedia or whatever killed them. Um, but um, yeah, publishing used to be glamorous, less so now. So I have a long background in business and tech and uh, editorial work. And so I live uh, in the woods in North Carolina. Sustainability is a topic uh, close to my heart. And it's, it's something that you look at differently as you age, which I seem to be doing. Um, you start thinking about your legacy, uh, not your personal, you know, ego legacy, but uh, your children, perhaps their children, what are we doing to this planet? What kind of world are we uh, leaving? And then also your view of business, hopefully, uh, gets a bit more complex, a little bit more nuanced, and you realize uh, that it's not just quarterly returns and making Wall Street numbers, it's stakeholders, it's people, it's communities, and that in fact that all is sort of a feedback loop and informs future earnings. So there's a real business benefit to this. So that fascinates me. I wish it fascinated Wall Street a bit more because we keep talking about quarterly earnings being a terrible metric. And then we go back to them time and time again. And that's the enemy of sustainability. So I'm telling you about me. I immediately start rambling and going on sort of a discursive <laughs> view of our topic. That is me. So I apologize for that. Ed Cohn, and no, don't you dare apologize. I appreciated that. And something you said, I live in North Carolina too. And you talked about sustainability and in the, you live in the trees in the forest. Where I live in the Raleigh-Durham area, they are cutting down every grove of trees they can find and building high-rise apartments and senior living complexes. The farms up on Leesville Road are going. 70 TW Alexander, if you know this area, everything is coming down. I don't even recognize the turnoff into my development, my subdivision, Ed, because they took all the trees down. And when I moved here five years ago, it was beautiful. So it's getting harder and harder to even live in a quote unquote sustainable environment. You agree? I mean, so I grew up in Greensboro and my life is hearing, was hearing my grandfather and my father say, this used to be that. And I realized I was getting old when I started to hear my kids say, this used to be that. Um, and as a newspaper columnist here in Greensboro, I used to write somewhat regularly. Greensboro sort of missed the, the big Sunbelt boom with Raleigh and Charlotte. Let's use this opportunity to be green and grow smart. We need economic growth, obviously. Let's do it without paving over the county, cutting down all the trees, sprawling endlessly. And we're going to do it as soon as we get the chance. There so that's not to be gloomy, but um, again, yep. that's me. Uh, 
I do think sustainability is a challenge because it yeah. it's misunderstood from an economic point of view. I think if North Carolina was smarter about preserving the reasons people live here and move here, it would prosper more, but instead they're going for the next quarter's returns. There you go. Thank you very much. Numbers are always there somewhere. Let's go around the table. Introduction next, Andreas Queck. Welcome. So happy to meet you. You and I had a little back and forth about the quote you're going to share on the show today. I'm not going to tell everybody why, but Andreas and I are good friends now. So Andreas, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. Thanks thanks a lot for having me. My name is Andreas Queck. I'm a solution manager at SAP at the industry business unit for industrial manufacturing. So that means we, we actually really focus on the industry of, of, the, of the manufacturers around the world and really speak a lot to these, to these companies and try to understand what drives them and what is important to them. And um, actually, three weeks ago, I had the chance to spend one week at uh, Hannover Messe to actually really understand what, what drives them and to speak to them about sustainability specifically. And this was, was really eye-opening and actually... Uh, validated um, my my journey here a, a lot, and um, I started at SAP as a as a student actually after studying civil engineering, where I learned a lot about um, transportation systems and how to make future mobility more sustainable and more efficient. And then I started at SAP actually um, and got the chance to develop a great uh, ride sharing solution for businesses, and this really sparked my interest also in the topic of sustainability in business. Um, so this was really, this was really interesting to me. Then I spent a couple of, uh, of years, three years in, in, in product development for the digital supply chain solutions of SAP. And then I really noticed I want to get back to talking to customers to, to, to help them run their businesses more efficient, more sustainably. And so um, that's when I switched into the role of a solution manager. And um, I'm really glad to be here today and to talk to you about sustainability again. That's thank you very awesome. much. And, and thank you for sharing that you helped to develop a ride sharing, which is part of sustainability, less traffic, less congestion, less emissions, right? And all of that. What year did you do that, Andreas? I'm curious. That was in 2018. Um, uh, 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 so many years ago, four years so ago. So many years ago. I'm yeah. trying to say, I couldn't say a millennium ago or a decade ago, but it seems like so long ago. Pre, Pre-COVID, that's that's how we can identify that. That was <laughs> when people were actually okay, okay to share rides. Think about that. You, it, Yeah, okay, a lot to think about. Thank you very much and welcome. I'm very intrigued that you started as an intern, civil engineering, and then you got into this and we're very glad to have you here. Now let's go one more seat around the table. Raju, welcome. You and I haven't talked in a while. I'm so happy you're back. Please bring us up to date. I'm guessing, I'm doing the math here. I know Ed likes numbers. I'm doing the math. I'm thinking there might be 12.3 people in the world who don't remember you from the last time you were on the show, Raju. So would you talk to those 12.3 people and bring them up to date? Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. I'm glad to be on the show again. So my name is Raju and I'm part of solution management here at SAP. Uh, just like what Andres mentioned for automotive here, uh, myself, and uh, been with SAP for uh, close to 20 plus years and have been always fascinated with automotive. So been in automotive for even longer uh, than that. And uh, been helping our customers embark on the journey with us from with our solution. So looking at once the vehicle is manufactured, so all the processes around that, so sales, service, marketing, and aftermarket. And basically it makes it interesting here 
because automotive also has a lot of reverse logistics or basically reuse or remanufacture. And like Andreas mentioned, the whole topic of mobility becomes even more, more, more and more interesting. Like you said, pre-COVID, there was this concept of shared mobility. <laughs> if you have forgotten that, uh, you know, uh, but you know, that, those are some of the areas uh, which keep me interested. And I've been looking at sustainability, like Ed said, you know, as you get older, you look at sustainability in different lights. So I remember my grandfather talking to us a long time ago, you know, he used to say, you know, uh, waste not, want not. So if you really don't need it, you don't need to have that need for having that, uh, whether it's food, whether it's any kind of other things in, in life. So, so I mean, shifting into that mindset where more and more thought processes are, are kind of geared towards the whole concept around sustainability. And I'm excited to help our customers in this journey. So enabling, and as Andreas said, you know, helping our helping our teams build solutions which can help our our customers and enterprises in this journey. So glad and excited to be here. Thank you very much. And you mentioned food sustainability. Quick, funny story. And I want to get to the quotes. Ed, you're going to be up first in a second. I learned recently that if I take the seeds out of food that I'm using for, for dinner, let's say a, a red pepper, green pepper, yellow pepper, and I plant them in a little bit of dirt, I can grow the most beautiful plants. And I've got a, a little yellow pepper plant. It's now a foot and a half tall in my kitchen window with about 100 leaves on it. I took an old Vidalia onion that what I didn't use fast enough cut it in half, stuck it in the front garden. Before you knew it, I had eight of the most gorgeous flowers that were 18 inches tall. And underneath it all, there were eight little tiny new onions in the ground in my front garden. I'm learning to recycle the throwaway stuff instead of a compost pile. I'm making flowers and more vegetables out of stuff that I just buy. You can do it with grapefruit seeds. You can do it with old little tomatoes cut in half. Very interesting. So yes, Ed, as we... And let's not say as we get older, let's say as we live more years, as we gain maturity or as we get, as we get wise. Can we say that, Ed, as we get wiser? Wiser. You go with that, Ed? Hopefully. Hopefully. Okay. I like that. Now let's go to the quotes. Talk about getting wise. I've asked each of my special guests. You're always special to me, all three of you. I've asked them to please send me a quote from a fictional movie or TV character or from a song lyric that has on the surface literally nothing to do with our topic and they're going to relate it to the topic in their own words and let's see how they think out loud. So Ed Cohn has sent us a quote from Fangorn, a.k.a. Treebeard, voiced by the actor John Rice or Reese Davies, however you pronounce it, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, 2002 epic fantasy adventure film directed by Peter Jackson. I won't go into more of that, but here's the quote. Nobody cares for the woods as I care for them, not even the elves nowadays. I don't know what the accent should be on that, Ed. Can you help me out, please? Well, um, let me first say that in choosing that quote, I do not mean to imply that I personally care for the woods more than any human or elf. Um, but I chose that quote, you may say, well, as you just said, that's an epic fantasy movie derived from epic fantasy books. And that's kind of a funny childish thing to include. In fact, they're hugely popular because there are all kinds of swords and sorcery and dragons and good stuff like that. But if you, if you watch them carefully, and certainly if you read the books, uh, there are a lot of adult themes in there. And I don't mean, you know, that kind of adult, I mean, for grownups. And one of them is that the author 
J.R.R. Tolkien was born in the late 19th century and watched the England of his childhood transform from this bucolic, beautiful, natural world uh, into one with smoke and machines and the industrial age. And he lamented that very deeply. The books have a real elegiac, sad quality to them about loss. It's a theme that goes through all the triumphs, not even just on the environmental stuff. But he was really big on this conquest of the natural world by the industrial world. And that's a big theme. The trees are kind of trying to fight back against this wizard who has technology. And what I find hopeful and relevant to this conversation is that we are moving from the industrial age to the digital age. And perhaps, and there are signs of this, in the digital age, we can balance the two. We, we need the industry, right? We need the economic growth. We need the mass production. We need the standards of living. But we also need that sustained support from the planet and of the planet and of the natural world. And one of the things we're seeing in our research is that in a digital world, there's some possibility to balance the two. So that's why I chose uh, that quote. I cheated. It's the extended quote. The shorter one is in the movie, but I didn't think you'd mind. Thank you very much. No, I didn't mind. I just wish I knew how to do the the tree voice. I, I should have studied that. I should have watched. Yes. Anyway, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Andreas has sent us a quote from Captain Jack Sparrow to Will Turner. The movie, of course, is Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, 2003 American fantasy swashbuckler film. There you go. It's a Disney media franchise, Pirates of the Caribbean, encompassing theme park rides, films, spin-off novels, video games, media productions, publications. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Let me read the quote. If you were waiting for the opportune moment, this was it. And I know it has something to do with a, a guy meeting a girl and not saying what he was supposed to. I think I watched the clip. So, Andreas, what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Yeah, I think this has to do <clears throat> a lot with our topic, actually, because I mentioned those conversations we had in, in Hanover with all the manufacturers. And what I noticed is that many of them are saying, well, I'm waiting for the industry. I'm waiting for regulations. I'm waiting for the state. I'm waiting for the government to do this or this or that. And um, actually, the, the companies who are, who are leaders already today in sustainability are the ones that just get started. And maybe they're not right. Maybe, maybe they will have to change later on. Um, to adjust to some standard, to adjust to some regulations. But if you if you really want to be on the forefront of this, um, then you have to get started today. And actually, we have a lot of uh, um, companies that we talk to that already have uh, projects in place, that already have KPIs in place on, on sustainability, that really put their sustainable performance next to their business performance. And I think those are so far ahead. So. This is really about don't wait for the opportune moment. Don't wait for anybody else to come to tell you what to do. Just get just get started with something. And I think that's that's really the theme here when it comes to sustainability right now in, in the industry. Absolutely. And it reminds me of binary math. It's either a one or a zero. You either do something or you don't. Yoda, do or do not. There is no try. You're either doing something or the light is either on or off. Forget about the, the dimmer switch. Thank you very much, Andreas. Appreciate the quote. Raju, let's go to your quote. I have to read this. It's from a song. 
Beautiful Day, song by Irish rock band U2, the first track of the 10th studio album called All That You Can't Leave Behind. Isn't that an interesting album name for our topic today, Raju? There, you got an extra in there. It was released as the album's lead single on October 9th, 2000, and it helped launch the album to multi-platinum and one of U2's biggest hits to date. Of course, lead vocalist Bono, what can I say? Here's the line. Here are the lines. You're out of luck, and the reason that you had to care... The traffic is stuck, and you're not moving anywhere. It's a beautiful day. Sky falls. You feel like it's a beautiful day. Don't let it get away. Did I do that okay, Raju? Really good, Bonnie. Really, (laughs) really good. (laughs) Thank you, dear. I should have had the music behind me. Go ahead, Raju. Talk to me. Uh, So exactly what you just said, the album title itself kind of came back to me later, but I think that was perfect because I think you, you kind of put the whole context of what we are talking about here which is which is we are, we are talking about sustainability in a in the context of the whole supply chain and so so the verse which i picked actually is like today like what you just started in your preamble you talked about all the different situations we are going through the all the different disruptions in the industry whether it's the chip shortage the covid crisis the geopolitical tensions going on all that is basically you know has has kind of created a, a traffic jam, if you want to call it. And of course, the impacts of that traffic jam are kind of, uh, you're seeing that cascading down and you know, and it's all taking its time. And I think that's what we're going to talk about later today. So I felt that was one part of the, the conversation which kind of highlighted in that verse. And the second part, of course, is uh, like Ed said, and like we all kind of, I think, uh, agree on. I mean, we have this uh, beautiful day in front of us right now, and I think we should not let it slip away from us. So we need to make sure that we do everything in our power to enable uh, business processes, systems to help achieve that, like what you just said, whether it's the city infrastructure, talking about mobility as such, you know, trying to eliminate uh, emissions where we work, operate, and, you know, uh, live and and try to create a better world. So that's what uh, kind of caught into my, uh, you know, thought process when I was selecting the code. And of course, you two, uh, I cannot uh, say anything more. One of the greatest band, and it was an awesome experience to see them live in one of the concerts. So here in Detroit, so, uh, you know, it was, it was just uh, out of the world. And of course, as always, inspiring, yeah. So that's what caught me <laughs> to this quote. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad you got to see them live. And the question is, how do we make people care? Right, Ed? Right, Raju? Right, Andreas? How do you, how do you get people to care? On a personal level, Ed, about the trees, about the Andreas, about the ride sharing, about the beautiful day. People have to care first before companies will care because companies are people. I'm just going to put that on the table. So songs like that, and I hope shows like this, our conversation today, will inspire somebody to say, you know, I didn't think about that, or I didn't think about it enough, or I'm not doing enough about it. Those would be my three hopes for the value of today's show. And I have to do two shout-outs to two ladies who are in the background today. We have Judy Cubis. Let's get a round of applause for Judy. Judy is my long-running showrunner, sponsor for the Future Mobility and Manufacturing at SAP. Judy, always a wonderful job, and you've picked a wonderful panel today. And we have Darielle Dawn, who works with Ed on at Oxford Economics. And Darielle, we're so happy. Uh, Darielle, is she SAP or is she Oxford? Ed, 
Where is she? SAP. SAP. Daryl, sorry about that. Either one is a good affiliation. So there you go. And she's here in the background cheering us on. Thank you very much. And I hope you're enjoying it from the sidelines, Daryl. So let's now go to our part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me a couple of discussion statements. I'm going to pick one from each of you. I've already got one teed up in the chat for Ed Cohn. Ed, I'm going to read it and I'm going to ask you to unpack it, expand it for about three minutes. Mm -hmm. And then the fun begins. I call it the magic sauce. I'll ask Andreas to agree or disagree with you. Andreas, Ed's in a really good mood today, he told me. It's okay to disagree, just be nice. And Raju, you get to agree or disagree with both of them. And then I'll have Ed, you wrap it up. In the meantime, I'll put one of the statements in the chat privately for Andreas and then one for Raju. So let's get started. Ed, I'm looking at statement number one. This is an interesting one. You say, sustainable supply chains are a consumer deliverable. Regulations and economics drive a lot of sustainability initiatives, but... The customer is always right, and the customer wants a green future. That's provocative, Mr. Cohn, so why don't you unpack it for us? Go ahead. Well, Bonnie, you just said, how do we get people to care? And I'd reframe that by saying people already care. The trick is to make action possible by making it affordable and meeting their consumer needs. Um, We all want clean air and clean water. We all want a nice environment. And obviously part of that in a consumer society, a mass production society is how do I uh, have the life that I need and my children need and my income will allow um, while also supporting those vital goals. And we actually have research that, that shows, um, we went into it, we had a research hypothesis that a, a lot or most at least Uh, sustainability initiatives in the supply chain were driven by regulatory compliance. And of course, a lot of them are. But what we found um, was, uh, at least in our our hypothetical view, a disproportionate percentage were driven by consumer demand. People don't want um, products that are produced unethically. It goes beyond the sourcing in terms of green. It goes to slave labor. It goes to um, the, the human ethics of it. And so the trick then, it all comes back to business, is delivering products that are affordable, durable, uh, meet people's needs for taste and status and all the other things that inform our, um, our purchase decisions. And that's, uh, that's the trick, isn't it? It's, it's to make that consumer demand for sustainable products, which means sustainable supply chains, to make it economically feasible. We see that in, you know, to the theme of today's call, we see that with electric vehicles. How do we make them not just affordable and reliable, how do we make them chargeable so I can take one on a long trip, right? These are all elements of sustainability that are driven by consumer demand that go far beyond you know, the, the questions of, of the power supply. So it is something consumers want, but consumers aren't infinitely wealthy, infinitely patient. They're balancing other needs as we all are. We're all consumers. So how do we create supply chains that have the transparency, that have the controls that meet these demands in an affordable way? Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Mr. Quick, talk to us. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, first of all, I cannot really disagree with Ed's research because I'm a big fan. I, I love uh, the, the new paper that is out from Oxford Economics. So, um, But maybe I would add one point because mm -hmm. I think especially when we look at indus industrial, um, industrial applications, um, I think the industry shouldn't wait for the consumers to tell them what they, what they should do. They should really be proactive and build machines, build solutions, build business models that are sustainable. And um, coming to the, to, to the example of, of cars that you made, I think consumers, they will demand a car that has a, a long range and that is energy efficient, but it's also about the processes. How do you actually manufacture this car? How are the, how are the materials sourced? Things that aren't necessarily all that visible to the customer. And I think there it's really imperative that also the, the companies, the, the manufacturers of, of vehicles or of machines or of any other product for that matter, uh, are really proactive and, and improve there as well in the, in the supply chain, not only on the factors that are visible to the customer that are well for marketing, but also for the factors that matter down the supply chain, basically. Thank you very much. Raju, join us. Agree or disagree? If you dare. Go ahead, Raju. I, I, I cannot disagree. <laughs> I think what Ed said and what Andreas added, I think it perfectly fits. I mean, uh, just the fact that today the current uh, ICE or the internal combustion engine, you know, the vehicles are lasting 12 plus years. Now, if you think about like what Ed mm -hmm. said and Andreas said, EV vehicles or the machinery we are talking about, they are lasting even longer or will last longer because the way they are manufactured, uh, the way they are uh, uh, produced, uh, you know, this drastically changing and that the longevity of all of these with, with the technology, again, you know, bringing in new technologies to enhance the value or the retain, retaining the value of the, those equipments and those products, I think keeps on increasing. I think it creates, I would say exactly uh, this this imperative that there is a need, uh, both a demand, but also like Andreas said, uh, the industry needs to step up as well because it's in the mutual benefit for the society and for the the greater good of the of the community and the world. Yeah, mutual benefit. I like that. Ed Cohn, anything you want to say back to your two esteemed colleagues? I mean, it's kind of not as good live show when we all agree but um i know <laughs> but but since mine, mine was research-based um no I, I do want to uh jump on something that andreas said uh which is you can't wait um for that consumer demand to sort of crystallize especially around something that is is in people's minds but not yet in their their mouths it's in their hearts but they they can't quite say it yet right um like a mm -hmm. sustainable supply chain we can all say my vehicle lasts a long time my vehicle is um using uh, a safer cleaner form of energy but there are things where the maker has to take the lead because they've got that visibility and they understand the process and then they turn it into a saleable asset Mm-hmm. Good point. Andreas, anything you want to say back before we move on to one of your statements? No, I totally agree. I mean, in the end, if you make it visible to the customer, then it's also a marketable uh, point again. Yeah. Visible, totally. affordable, available, attractive. Yes. Beneficial. 
community-wide. Raju, I like what you said about communities and, and build that out bigger, bigger, bigger. Thank you, Ed. Great start to our conversation. Formal roundtable. Andreas, I'm looking at statement number two. This is one of my favorite topics. You say circular business models in combination with outcome-based businesses are going to be a key differentiator for machine manufacturers. I'm going to stop there and let you finish that. I'm so interested in the concept of circular economy, and I'm glad you brought this into the conversation. Andreas, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think circular economy is already very well known in, in consumer goods like clothes, um, recycled, obviously secondhand clothes are a big, a big uh, deal right now. But um, what we learn right now from our, from our companies that we talk to is that is also really applicable for industrial applications. So we see more and more companies that actually are moving from selling machines to um, for, uh, for renting them out or, or selling them in outcome-based business models. That really means that as a, as a power drill company, for example, you would not no longer sell a, a power, power tool, but you would really start selling holes in the wall. You will start uh, selling um, uh, cuts with a saw, for example. And um, as soon as you start doing that, um, it becomes really attractive for, for you as a, as a manufacturer of these tools to actually get back the, the older tools and also build more lasting, more durable tools as well. Because if the customer, if the, if the tool breaks for a customer, you will just have to supply them with a new one. So this is no longer attractive for you as a business model to make tools that, that will only last for a while, but you will also, you will really have to um, design tools that that last long and are re really durable. So, in this case, an outcome-based business model is um, is a really great driver for also a circular business model where you actually design a product in a way that is um, modular, that you can um, get it back from a customer and reuse as many parts of it as possible to then build a newer version, a better version for for the next customer, or give it back to to the same customer for that matter. I'm going to say if only, and I'll tell you all a little story after we go around the table. Raju, you right now are virtually sitting next to Andreas. Go ahead and talk to us. Agree or disagree? I completely agree. And oh, I no. Think it, <laughs> <laughs> it's really fascinating, uh, you know, like Andreas mentioned, how uh, the industry is transitioning to this outcome-based model. And I think it's very, uh, uh, very uh, uh a model which is taking shape in the industrial manufacturing, but in in our traditional uh, automotive sector, you know, I think this is I would say a kind of an imperative. I would say without circularity, sustainability is not possible. That's what I think uh, where we are looking at, and so that does not uh, just mean that okay, the product has to be, you know, like a vehicle today is ninety five percent recyclable by one estimate from one of the OEMs, but but I think that's not the point. The point is also that how much of the secondary material, so basically how much of the reused material can go back uh, in the vehicle. And I think that's where becoming it's becoming key in automotive. And uh, if you take one of the uh, uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation's uh, studies, you know, they, they say that 45% of uh, carbon emissions could be saved with circular business practices and in 90% of the wasted materials could be saved. So uh, so there is this whole concept of uh, reuse, uh, remanufacture, uh, recycle, which is kind of becoming more and more, I would say, key uh, in the automotive value chain. 
And now when you talk about uh, what we just talked about, uh, about electric vehicles, one of the key challenges is these critical raw materials or the rare earth materials. And the percentage of that has increased, uh, you know, the amount needed for an electric vehicle. So if you think from, a, uh, from just a product point of view, there are new set of business processes which are needed and these have to become circular. They cannot be the traditional take, make, waste uh, scenarios of linear economy. They have to become circular. And that's when the, I would say, the sustainability uh, value comes through, uh, that your business, uh, your business processes, your products are uh, more reliant, uh, more reliable and resilient. Uh, because now I don't need to uh, you know, get another raw material or mine for another raw material again, if I can reuse or recycle from an existing uh, product, uh, which which has gone through its first phase of life. Yeah. Thank you very much. Let's go to Mr. Cohn. Ed, agree or disagree? Oh, let's see where he's going to go with this. Ed? Well, I, I actually want to drill down on something, no pun intended with Andreas's <laughs> drill um, example. Um, I was really intrigued when you talked about it improving uptime and, and making better, more durable products, because that's the way this as a service business model requires manufacturers mm -hmm. to think. And you look back at the industrial age, I mean, we're still in it, right? But um, one of the great alleged demons of that time was planned obsolescence. Mm -hmm. They make it to break, they make it to not last long, so we have to buy another one. Now, whether that was really a, a workable business model, I have not done a ton of research on, but it's definitely in the consumer mind. And, but definitely the opposite applies here. Now you have an imperative to make it last as long as possible, to be as simple, usable, durable as possible. And you're also collecting data on usage in this service model so that you can make the next one or the next upgrade to this one better. So I think that's really powerful because again, it's consumer benefit. It's not some esoteric, hard to put your finger on, save the planet benefit. Yeah, we all want it, but how and how does that work? Um, how is that affordable? And it's not, hey, this will really help the manufacturer with that sustainable income stream. It's what's in it for me. And you know, enlightened self-interest is kind of the name of the game. Enlightened self-interest. Interesting. Andreas, great spark to a conversation round. Anything you want to say back to your two colleagues? Yeah, um, I, I think actually there are a couple of facts that are coming from one of the Oxford economic studies on circular manufacturing. And that is really that this doesn't only um, improve the, the, the manufacturers, um, the profit in the end or on and sustainability, improve on sustainability KPIs, but really also improves on, on customer satisfaction and brand reputation. And it helps a manufacturer, of course, to become to become compliant with, with regulation that are more and more imposed on these, on these industries. So um, I think it's a win-win for the customer and for the industry. I have a quick sidebar for all of you. I live in a, a community where there's a pond in the middle of 21 homes around this pond. So I don't have a real backyard. I have a slope lawn that goes to this pond with a walkway around it. Everybody on this pond paid a lot of extra money to be on this because the pond has a fountain in the middle that shoots up the most gorgeous spray and lights up with different colors at night. Okay, I've been here five years. The fountain is gone. The colored spray is gone because the pump broke. 
We are now at six weeks waiting for a replacement for a 10 horsepower pump that I'm told by the HOA management company will cost $20,000 to replace and is not in the budget. Okay, this is, I've been here five years, four summers out of five, the pump has broken. They have hauled the fountain out and we have no fountain. We've got stagnant water. We've got beautiful birds and ducks. We have no lights on the pond at night. It is pitch dark in the back. And talk about what is the purpose of the fountain? To stir the water up, to keep it moving for the wildlife there, to keep it healthy, right? And to give us lighting and to give us beauty and to give us this ex amenity that we all paid extra to live and see. So we have a dark pond. So my question is, and, and amazingly, everybody on this block received a catalog from a pond accessories company in the mail two weeks ago. And it shows that you can get a beautiful fountain for 3000 bucks <laughs> with a two horsepower motor. And I'm told, no, we have to have the 10 horsepower. So the deal is, Andreas, I'm addressing this to you. The deal is that the manufacturer is assessing what it's going to take to repair or replace the motor. We're talking about a 10 horsepower pump on a readily available piece of equipment that should last at least more than 10 months out of the year, right? And we are waiting now. We're in our second month of waiting, and July is next week, and it's summer. And we look out, and the it's got birds and ducks, but nothing is happening. The water is still. Andreas, anybody, any thoughts on talk about circular economy, about sustainability, about durability, about thinking about what your product is doing for the consumer? I'm a consumer here. Anybody want to comment? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm really pissed. Yeah, I'm, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> in an yeah, I think in an outcome-based business model, you would have wouldn't have bought a pump, but you would have actually paid for beautiful lights and a water show. And if that isn't delivered, you wouldn't have to pay. So, oh, would have been yeah. Can you come? Can you come here and visit visit this and tell people? Ed, go ahead. What do you want to say? Raju, next. Ed. Well, I would be hesitant to uh, jump to turning a uh, a bug into a feature. But I might also use this as an opportunity to ask my homeowners to think hard about what they really want from that pond. Is a, is a light-free environment better for the birds? I don't know. I don't know what birds like. But um, is, is the purpose of the pump to move the water and aerate it to make sure that there's adequate environment for Part the natural it. world? And what's the sustainable solution? What, why does that pump keep breaking? Or is, are we asking it to do things that actually we could live without? Or I think just asking the question is important. And then the answer might come back, no, oh, man, we, we want our lights. <laughs> we want our color. <laughs> and we want that pump in that sound, which is a perfectly fine answer, yeah. right? But yeah. I think examining our own behaviors and preferences yeah. Um, is is an aspect of this, and you can't really ask the companies to do it. That's something we have to do. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a terrible answer to your question. I'm sorry your fountain <laughs> is broken. Raju, Raju, quickly, go ahead. What's your comment? Oh, no, I, <laughs> no, I was just going to suggest another model. Pay as you go. So if you see it, you pay for it. That's about it, and then move on. <laughs> you don't need to pay for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I went ahead and suggested we all chip in and buy a $3,000 pump and fountain because, the, and one of my neighbors said, we are not the experts in this. It's the management company that knows what to do about this and how dare we intrude and they have to go through the process. And I'm saying, whoa, okay, let's move on. Thank you, everyone. Judy's probably mad at me for doing this sidebar because it was so personal. Judy, forgive me. I had, to, because it, it seemed to be a tentacle of what I said was related to what 
got Andrea started. So let's go on, Raju. Statement number two, this is interesting. Transparency of sustainability becomes critical as new sets of global and regional regulations and laws come into effect, such as, here's an example, Supply Chain Due Diligence Act, LKSG in Germany, and soon in other parts of the world. Let's talk about the data. Raju, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so I think uh, the one of the uh, most important things, I think what we all talk about is uh, uh, what you cannot measure, you cannot manage, is that right? So I think it comes down that uh, it is, uh, when we talk about sustainability, I think it's very important to understand what that data is and to make it available to the entire organization. I think that's where, I think in the Oxford economic research, I think that's another one of the big topics was around data. And I think it highlights the fact that still today, a lot of the companies are looking looking at sustainability at a very siloed way of looking rather than looking holistically across uh, their organization but actually that whole sustainability data needs to go through the ecosystem as well to kind of uh, to be available because that's when you can really make these decisions like what Ed said in the beginning, you know, whether it is making a, a business decision, whether it's a new business model like Andreas mentioned. Uh, so there are, so the transparency, so once you understand what your sustainability data is, once it's visible, when all the different uh, stakeholders in the organization have the view rather than just a siloed view, because then you're only addressing one part of the uh, the compliance regulation. So like one example of LKSG talks about human rights and slavery, uh, visibility and transparency across the supply chain. So that is coming up soon in, in Germany, but in other parts of the world as well, this is a kind of a mandated thing. So you're looking at one part of it, but I think it has impacts also now because you have to involve your suppliers. The suppliers need to make sure that they or their tier tier end supply chain has that visibility. And then you are able to use that information to maybe drive the next uh, sustainable procurement uh, in your supply chain. So that's where uh, I feel that uh, the importance of data, I think, I think it's there in the Oxford economic paper as well. There are other dimensions to it, of course, uh, which makes it very, very important. Thank you very much. Another good provocative conversation starter. Mr. Ed Cohn, you are sitting virtually next to Mr. Raju right now. So I'm going to call on you to agree or disagree. I dare you to disagree. Go ahead. Oh, this is this is one of my very favorite topics. Um, sorry. So I totally agree with Raju. Um, all right. So sustainability is a systems thinking data issue. That's that's one important way to look at it. When we talk about systems thinking, we mean the way different parts of a massive organization, an ecosystem, not a natural ecosystem, interact with each other. Famous example, the butterfly wing flapping in one place causing a hurricane in another. Now think of a thousand butterfly wings across your supply chain, your regulatory structure, your marketplace. Everything interacts with everything. A change in one place affects other places. And then that's dynamic. They all affect each other. So this system of systems is very much the model for sustainability. And when you think about it, almost philosophically, the ultimate system that we're dealing with is the, the real ecosystem, the, the earth itself. So what we do has an impact on our business. What happens in our business has uh, an impact on the planet and on our communities. So 
How do you know? Well, that great quote, you can't manage what you can't measure, not said by Peter Drucker, we found out once in a research program. Um, but it, it is true. So now you're trying to measure and manage these vast networks. And it's hard. And what we see again and again in our research, including our most recent sustainability program, is people are okay now in 2022 at using data to manage across their own enterprise. And the farther you get from your firewall, the harder it is. And so you get to your supplier, supplier, supplier. It is really hard to have the kind of visibility that you need, the data flows you need, the data flows you can make meaning from. So yeah, I, I get a little fired up about this one. Um, and I do think sustainability as a data issue, as a systems thinking issue, is a really valuable frame to put on it. Ed, we just got a kudos to you on the phrase you just used, sustainability is the ultimate systems thinking problem. Judy Cubis is applauding you and saying what an awesome way to put that in the chat. So I just want to pass that along to you. Let's Thanks, go Judy. to, uh, let's go to, um, let's see, that was Raju's statement. Ed, Andreas, thoughts, please. Yeah, um, I, I would like to agree with parts of the statement and disagree with the second part. So we have a bit of disagreement. Um, I, I would agree that it's super important to have all the data throughout the logistics. Basically at, at SAP, we say, we say design to operate. So you need the data throughout this whole process. Um, and I also agree that it's hard, but I, I, I would say it's, it's, it's hard right now and make a bit of a prediction here and say that in a couple of years, when we, when we are all back together, then this is just going to be standard. If it has a price, it will have a carbon footprint attached to it. And um, that is throughout the whole supply chain. And if you, if you actually buy a material, buy a product, um, or um, actually any service, transportation service, it will also have a carbon footprint number attached to it because um, all of the companies that you deliver that service, that product to, will need that number for their reporting. So in a couple of years, I guess this is really going to become standard and it's not going to stay hard at least. Interesting. Raju, thoughts, please. Yeah, I think I like that statement from Andreas for sure. I think it will become standard. Uh, I mean, it won't be something we need to kind of argue about or uh, you know disagree about. To be to be to be clear, yeah, I think I completely agree there. Okay, I want to introduce one statement, Ed. I didn't put it in the chat for you, but I just want your comments on this. It's your statement number four. I'll read it, and you say the business case for sustainability is strong, but. There will be times when tough decisions have to be made. It's better to make a short-term hit than pay forever for the wrong choice, to take a short-term hit. Ed, I can give you about two minutes and then we're gonna wrap up. I, I know this needs to be in the conversation. So Ed, thoughts please? I'm gonna leave everybody on view so we can see the reaction. Go ahead, Ed. Sure, well, this goes straight to the point Andreas was making about um, hard problems getting solved, right? And you, you can't say short-term um, that's going to crush our quarterly earnings or um, that's going to make consumers do a little bit of extra work. You have to look to the goal and say, uh, that's where we're going. Now, how do we get there? Technology is one solution. Um, you know, there's an old expression, culture eats strategy for lunch. I like to add it, then picks its teeth with IT. Um, it it's, it's how people 
feel and act ultimately that matters. And so you can give them the tools to help them do what they, they want to do. So in terms of those hard decisions, look, you, you don't have to look very far to see examples where you could get a raw material or um, something in your supply chain that was sourced unethically through slave labor, through um, unethical business practices. And you know what? It's going to save you some money up front, and therefore your quarter is going to have better earnings per share. That's the fact. But, um, well, not to put too grand a view of it, is it worth your immortal soul? Um, is it worth the soul of your company? Is it worth the relationship with your customers down the road when they find out, well, you're sourcing this stuff and it's super cheap, but it falls apart quickly and even worse, it's ruining lives, it's ruining environments. So I do think that that toughness and that eyes on the prize strategy of saying, this is where we're going and it may be bumpy at first is the only way to get there. So get, and again, Wall Street calls the tune for a lot of companies and yep. they have to figure out a way to please the capital markets while also pleasing their customers and doing the right thing. Thank you very much, Ed. We're just about out of time, but I'm going to go for a 30-second agree or disagree around the table. Andreas, agree or disagree with Ed quickly, please. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, that's, this, is the, this is the major topic for, for the industry as well, and um, actually bringing together all of the, all of the data of, throughout the whole supply chain is, is definitely um, the, the major topic for the Thank future. Thank you. Raju, quick wrap-up, 30 seconds, yeah. agree or disagree. Yeah. Yes, agree with the, uh, Ed's statement and uh, automotive and other industries are making some pivots to your point, you know, short term gains, but uh, they need to think about what are the long term implications and are you really, you know, saving anything around sustainability. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really valid. Thank you. Our topic was a sustainable resilient supply network, a paradox. I'm going to say, is it possible? Yes or no? Ed Cohn? Yes. It'll yes. be hard, but it's possible. Andreas, possible? Yes, it's necessary. Raju? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I want to thank the three of you. You have been beyond smart and savvy. You've been charismatic and congenial, got along all very well. Nobody disagreed, really. But th this was a topic where you all bought into it, and it was important to share your insights, and I appreciate that. Shout out again to Judy Kubis at SAP, sponsor of this long-running series. Judy? Excellent, excellent topic and panel. Thank you so much. And Daryl Dawn and Daryl sent a note to me and she said, picks its teeth with IT Ed. She loved that. She sent that note to me in the chat privately. So there you go. I want to thank both ladies for being in the background and watching us. Sorry we couldn't get live, live stream on LinkedIn. Technology reared its head. Bonnie D signing off and here's my closing. Oh, and thank you to Gabe, our engineer at Voice America Business Channel. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Ed Cohn, just like Andreas Kvek, and just like Raju Pani D. Now I'm signing off. Everybody say goodbye and don't go away. We'll chat for a second. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.